Want a fresh take on what's going on with the Saints, LSU, the betting world, and the NFL? Then you've picked the right place. Jim Derry has plenty of datitude, and he's ready to tell you the way it is. Well, the way he thinks it is. Where you at, New Orleans? And hello to all my friends around the country who are already trying to figure out how the hell they're going to make it through Thursday night. Game six of the NBA Western Conference first-round series against the top-seeded Suns in the Smoothie King Center, which is now an elimination game for the Pellies. Meanwhile, the New Orleans Saints... About the time the game is ending, we'll be making their first pick of the NFL draft in 2022 at pick number 16, and then again about 30 minutes later at pick number 19, assuming they stay where they currently are, which we know that the Saints don't always do. So how are we going to make that work? All coming up, things we're going to talk about in a crazy jam-packed Wednesday morning, Datitude, a special Datitude on a Wednesday, episode number 68, April the 27th, 2022. I am Jim Derry, sports betting writer at The Advocate, The Times-Picune, and bet.nola.com. Um, you know, a lot of us woke up this morning feeling a little bit down after the game last night. It was the, it, I think it was the, 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 of course, this is the third game they lost in the series. But I think it was the first one that was really kind of disheartening because you kept waiting for that run, even in the other two losses. You, you waited for a run. They, they'd make a little run. Even in the first game when they stunk so bad in the first half after winning those two play-in games, they made a little run in the second half. You, you never maybe really thought they were going to win the game, but they made that run. Game... In, in the game that they lost in the, in the Smoothie King Center in game three, um, the game probably wasn't as close as the three-point final, but still they made a run. You thought that, that maybe they had a chance to, to steal one, right? Last night at no point. And, and really, you hoped that they would come out and make a run. There, there were chances to do different things. They never did it. It never happened. It, it, B.I. got hurt. Towards the end, that didn't help. C.J. McCollum is not playing his best basketball in this series. I don't know what the hell Devontae Graham is doing. Um, it just it, it never materialized. It was a tough night to watch. So we're going to lead with the Pels. Of course, a lot of you, uh, I know a majority of my listeners, um, want to talk Saints and want to hear Saints. And we're going to talk a lot about the Saints in the NFL draft. Uh, I have two great guests on today. They may not be the most well-known guest for some of you. Now, most of you know David Grubb, uh, a local guy who has been all over talk radio here in the New Orleans area. And uh, he does play-by-play for Tulane basketball as well. But uh, he is all-knowing when it comes to Pelicans. Uh, you know, we, we have our own people who are fantastic. Christian and Scott are both wonderful. Um, and I, 
I'm ashamed to say I haven't had him on yet. It just kind of hasn't worked out that. I always go to my, you know, one thing about that I'm learning, I guess I'm kind of like Willie Green. I'm in the infancy of this podcast, I guess. This is episode number 68 for me. So, you know, you think about the Pelicans game, 68. I'm still trying to figure out how to do the show. And sometimes I catch myself when it's so busy that uh, you're like, oh, wait, we're doing a show tomorrow. Who am I going to have on? Now, I had planned Adam Chernoff, who's coming on after David, uh, talk about the Saints in the NFL draft. We've been playing that for a week. I've been actually a little longer than that. I've been wanting him to come on. He, the, the info that he's got about the NFL draft and how to look at the draft, uh, it's mostly from a betting perspective, but really you can use it from a lot more than that. He's coming on. We'll talk about the Saints in the NFL draft in the second half of the show. But sometimes, you know, it's just, who am I going to have on to talk? We've got to talk to Pelicans. Oh, I'm going to call David. That's that's really what happened, and, and David does an outstanding job and follows his team as closely as anyone. Um, and I need to get Andrew Lopez back on from ESPN. Uh, Andrew and I have known each other for quite a long time. In fact, I knew Andrew when he was just a pipsqueak intern back at the Times-Picune, way back in the day. That was a long time ago. But uh, I digress. Uh, there is a lot to talk about this morning. Um, my thoughts, and, and again, I want to start with the Pelicans, because to me, uh, that is the story of New Orleans right now. And, and to say that that is, the fa- that is a fact, I think it's a fact, uh, as I stumble over my own words again. I'm, I'm fumbling more than, uh, than the Saints do on a five turnover day. More than Trevor Simeon, I guess. Nah, I'm not going there. That's, that's, he's gone. He's a bear now. Um, that's their problem. But the, the, the fact that the Pelicans, in my mind, or even the, the fact that it could be the top story in New Orleans right now is amazing in itself. You think about it. The Saints are about to make two picks in the NFL draft. It's the first draft without Sean Payton here. Drew Brees is gone. We, we don't know how a draft without Sean Payton is going to look. We should be talking about the in most years. That's all we'd be talking about this week and probably last week. But what do I think the lead of the, tonight today is? And I'm about to get on a plane to go to Las Vegas to go cover the NFL draft. And I still think the lead of today is the New Orleans Pelicans. Not so much because of what happened in Game Five, but because of where this team has positioned itself in such a short period of time. And it's things that we've talked about here. But you continue to see, even in an effort like they put out last night where they were just gassed, all the emotion that they had was spent on Sunday. It, it, it's, it's still mind-boggling that we're here. And we're going into the first round of the NFL draft tomorrow night. And people are going to be watching the Pelicans game and hoping that the Saints don't make that pick until after the Pelicans are over and, they're, and they have forced the game seven. That's where we are. That's where I think a majority of New Orleans sports fans are at the moment. Because this team is just damn fun. It wasn't a fun game to watch last night, but they're damn fun. Chemistry, Heart, we talk about it all the time. Think of the Saints teams that have been good. Think of the Saints team that won the Super Bowl. And Scott Shanley and, you know, Jonathan Vilma. 
And I mean, we talk about Drew Brees all the time, but you know, Reggie Bush, Pierre Thomas, Deuce McAllister in the background, the offensive linemen that we had that were just one cohesive unit with Sean Payton there. It was chemistry and talent. And I think this Pelicans team is positioning themselves. We know that they have the heart. We know that they have the chemistry. We know that they have a bright, just bright isn't good enough, brilliant young coach who knows how to push most of the right buttons already. Not all of them. He's getting there. But sees it. He sees he's got it. He's got it. He's got what Sean Payton had when he came here. That's who Willie Green is. And this is kind of like, in a way, the Saints in 2006, right? Now, that team went to the NFC Championship game, but it's, it was almost a fluke that they went to the NFC Championship game. Let, let's get it straight. It was the year after Katrina, and I think the, the karma gods had a little something to do with that. But this team is a lot like that 2006 Saints team where they probably overachieved. The difference is that Saints team started well. This Pelicans team obviously did not. Had they gone, instead of going 3-16, and 16, had they started, I don't know, 9-10, and 10, they'd be seated differently and have a legitimate chance. Of course, then they'd probably be the sixth seed and they'd be playing Golden State and it'd probably be worse. But you know what I'm talking about. This team is on the path to be where the 2009 Saints were. And to think that in three, can this team make the NBA Finals within the next three years? Absolutely. But this, is, this show is called Datitude for a reason. And I don't sugarcoat anything. So that's the good news. The bad news is, I think this series is over. And I mean like over now. I don't think they're going to win game six. Not what I saw last night. And that's okay. I'm not kicking them. They're in the same position they were in two weeks ago. I wrote this in the newsletter this morning for bet.nola.com. By the way, if you have not subscribed to that newsletter, you should. Uh, we, it's, it's, it, 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 we all take turns writing it. I write it usually on Wednesday nights and Saturday nights. We don't usually write one on Tuesday. That's the one night we don't usually write something. Because the Pelicans played, we did write one. And I wrote this morning that um, this team is in the same position it was in two weeks ago in the play-in tournament, and they shocked the world. And they won one at home, and then they won one on the road. And they had to come back on the road at the Clippers to do it. The difference is they were playing the Spurs and the Clippers last time. This time they're playing the defending Western Conference champion Phoenix Suns in a veteran somebody can be the different star every night kind of team. And this team looks tired. They gave everything they had Sunday, and they're tired. I hope I'm wrong. I want to be talking about this team for weeks to come. I would love to be wrong. I would love to come on here Friday morning from Las Vegas, and the first things out of my mouth is, you know, the Pelicans are still playing. 
that they win game six. They force a game seven, and they play on Saturday in a winner-take-all game in Phoenix. I hope that I get a chance to do that. But the team that I saw last night looked tired. B.I. at the end of the game, the, the, his little pinky finger that looked like it was going in the wrong direction. Um, the, sh- the moments before that when he hit that hard wooden court from about six feet high and parallel to the court and came crashing down on either his hip or his butt, which forced a shockwave into his back. That's going to still hurt tomorrow. Both of those things are going to hurt tomorrow. And it's probably going to affect his shooting. We've got to be realistic. Which means CJ's got to have an outstanding game. And I mean outstanding. CJ McCollum has to, he has not had an outstanding game in this series yet. In fact, I'd go as far to say, I don't even know if he's had a really good game. He's had a couple okay games, but he's got to be, he's going to have to put this team on his shoulders. We'll see if he can do that because I think he's going to have to tomorrow night. We'll be talking about all that and more, um, all kinds of stuff going on here at bet.nola.com. Um, you, we, again, uh, if you don't know, if you haven't followed our shows, you can see, you can find all of our bet.nola.com shows. You know where to find Datitude. You just go to your, wherever you get your podcast and you type in Datitude in a search and it comes up. And you click on it, you subscribe, you're good. And a lot of you have done that already and I thank you for doing that. But if you haven't been watching our bet.nola.com shows, check them out. They're on nola.com's YouTube and Facebook pages. You can also find a link to them uh, whenever we do a show on bet.nola.com and nola.com slash sports. On Monday, we do uh, buy you bets and on Thursday we do at the book we're live at four o'clock on both Monday and Thursday and Zach Ewing and I who's the sports betting director he's been on the show a few times we're both going to be live in Las Vegas and tomorrow we're going to be doing live shows on our YouTube and Facebook pages at four o'clock and then we're also going to come on again live later Uh, when the Saints are about to pick, and I really hope the Pelicans game is over by then, it's going to be tough to to try to pay attention to what's going on. But we're going to come on around the time the Saints, uh, the Saints are, they're picking 16th and 19th as of now. And if that stays to be true, we will come on when the 15th pick is about to be made. And we will stay on the air live on Anoa.com, YouTube and Facebook pages, from the 15th pick until after the Saints make their pick at 19. So, Zach and I, and we're also going to try to get, uh, we've tried to line up some some big guests. I'm also going to try to get recordings for Datitude. I'll be live, well, I guess I won't be live, but I will be, uh, our show Friday will be from Vegas. Datitude episode number 69 will be from Vegas. Um, and I'm going to try to at least get audio from the two Saints first round picks. Also, we're trying to have some other guests on as well. And so before we get to our guest, and, um, Saints picks, what do we think right now? The Las Vegas odds makers think that the first Saints pick, at least favored, it's changed a little bit in the last couple days. But quarterback is up there either at number one or tied with wide receiver. Or right around there also is offensive lineman. I think the Saints are going O-line first. 
Uh, I've been asked this so many times over the last week what I think. And I'm thankful that people care what I think. Um, so I think the Saints are going O-line first. I think their target is Trevor Penning. Whether it turns out that he's still available because, you know, just a couple of weeks ago it's projected he would go around the 26, 27 mark. And he's going up and up and up and up. Wouldn't be surprised at all if the Saints get a little nervous that a bunch of O-linemen go early. That's where I think you, if the Saints are going to trade up, I think that's what they would trade up for. Now, it's not sexy, and Saints fans might not want to hear it, but I think that's, that's what happens. I think if they're going to trade up, it's going to be for an O-lineman. Um, otherwise, if they feel good about where they are, they feel like when it gets to 13, 14, there are a couple options, then I think they stay put at 16, and then maybe even trade back at 19, because there are a ton of wide receivers in this draft. I know everybody wants them to make the sexy pick and the one they, that everybody knows. Um, but I think most likely they stay at 16 and 19. They've taken a tackle at 16. They take a wide receiver at 19. The name I've been hearing and the one I've been saying for weeks is Chris Olave. Uh, so those are my, that's my predictions. Penning in rounds in the, with the 16th pick, Olave with the 19th pick. There you go. There you have it. But we're going to talk again with, with Adam Chernoff of Covers.com and get a little bit of insight into the draft. Let's get to David Grubb, and let's keep talking Pelicans for a little bit. Um, if you – look, I'm going to – if you don't want to hear about the Pelicans and you want to go straight to more Saints talk, David Grubb, the interview lasts for almost 32 minutes. So you can do the math and look at your, your timer, which is at about 18 minutes. And so 18 plus 32, let's see, da, 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 da. use my Shaw math calculator, about the 50-minute mark. So if you want to go into the Saints NFL talk, about the 50-minute mark is where we do it. But uh, I think it's important to talk about the Pelicans. And a uh, man who knows way more about them than I do, David Grubb, coming on air here on Datitude. Welcoming into the Datitude podcast on a semi-somber Wednesday morning, David Grubb, the host of the Bird Calls podcast, also a contributor to SI.com with Pelican Scoop. David, um, you know, I know you and I, look, I, I tell this to people all the time. We're human. We're, we, we are supposed to be as objective as we can. But, it, but when you get an event like this, when you get a team that's so exciting, um, that that came back from the dead, which is what this team did, under a brilliant, wonderful young coach who's just so fun to uh, – it's so fun to watch the progression of this guy uh, just in a few months. But um, last night was a little tough to take after Sunday, and you kept waiting for the run to happen. It was going to happen at some point. It's going to happen in the third quarter. CP3 is going to sit out for, for five or six minutes. It didn't happen. You waited for it in the fourth quarter. It never happened. It just didn't happen. And the Phoenix Suns are just that good. And sometimes it's hard to take to accept the truth. Yeah, I mean, that's why the Suns are the top seed. You know, uh, this was the best matchup for the Pelicans. Talent-wise, uh, lineup-wise, out of the teams they possibly could have gotten in the first round. Um, this was the one that I wanted them to play. And I thought it would be a great test for them because it's like looking in a mirror, you know, Willie and Monty, 
the way that these two teams have built their philosophies, a lot of mid-range, a lot of motion. There's a lot of similarity between his teams. But the main thing is that one team is trying to, to, to slow everything down, and that's what the Suns want to do. They want this game played in the mud, and the Pelicans want to run. And from the beginning of last night's game, Phoenix set the tempo. They did what they wanted to do. And I think that was um, that's what champions do. That's why they were the Western Conference champions last year. That's why they had the best record in the NBA. And people can talk about, oh, it was only a this many point game in the fourth quarter. But you were down 18 on the road to a team that doesn't have its its best score, to a team that had to use Mikhail Bridges and, and get him to come off the bench. And, I mean, not come off the bench, but give you 47 minutes and 30 points. You know, that's they found what they had to find, and the Pelicans didn't have it from the opening tip. They just didn't. There was no energy. There was no life. There was no purpose in the way that the Pelicans played last night. And I don't, I don't, you know, that's not to insult them. It's just, that's what happens to young teams who have to go into a closeout game against I mean, not a closeout game, but a potential chance to, to have one against a championship level team. All right. So talk me off the ledge. I wrote um, in my news, in the newsletter this morning for bet.nola.com um, that the, the Pels are in, a, in the same exact situation they were in two weeks, two weeks ago. They have to win two games in a row, one at home, one on the road. And uh, can they do it? Sure. The difference is this time, what I saw last night, um, and I want to be wrong. I, I want to be talking about this team for as long as we can possibly be talking about them. I want them to be as relevant as long as possible. I want Cinderella to have the glass slipper in her hand as long as she possibly can. But what I saw last night, David Grubb, leads me to believe that this series is over. Tell me I'm wrong. Man, let's let's look at it this way. History tells us team that wins game five wins the series 85% of the time. And we know that the Phoenix Suns lost two games in a row this season, a grand total of four times. And uh, the Pelicans are not a team that typically wins two games in a row. They have not won two games in a row since they won those two games to get into the, you know, the play in. Um, that's the last time they won two games in a row. So there's seven and six this month. So what does that tell you? It's, it's the, the odds of beating Phoenix twice, which you haven't done all year long, back-to-back games. You're going to do it now in back-to-back games. And one of those is in Phoenix. And that's a game seven if you get there. I just, no, I just, I don't see it. I, I think they can push it to seven, but I just don't see them them doing it. It's, it's, it's just too hard of a hill to climb. But at, again, from perspective-wise, like you said, from where they started to be in this situation, to have pushed the best team in the league as far as they have, they've learned what they wanted to learn about their team. You were supposed to talk me off the ledge. What am I supposed to say, man? I can't, I can't say things that aren't true. I mean, they have a puncher's chance, right? You give them a puncher's chance. They can win in game six at home. They can do that. That's possible. You go to game seven and anything goes. But, I mean, you'd have to give all the edges, all the things that the intangibles that you put into game seven, all that weight would be on the Phoenix side. Well, one thing we call this the show Datitude for a reason, and I'm not going to blow smoke any, up anyone's, um, you know, whatever you want to call it. Uh, not, not, on, not, on, not on a Wednesday morning. Uh, not when, but you know what, though? I've said that I'm going to give the positive. I want to talk some more about um, 
you know, we, we talk about this bright future, and I'm not going to write their obit. That's not what I'm doing right now. I mean, sure, it's possible they come back. And again, I hope I'm wrong. I, I don't think I'm definitely right. I, Lord knows I've said absolutely about a million and 86 times in my life. And you know, my wife likes to point that out on a daily basis. Um, but, uh, you know, this team, no matter what happens on Thursday night, and no matter what happens if they play on a Saturday night, um, it's just so God doggone refreshing to see a team like this come back that we saw on a graphic that's really only happened four times in NBA history from where they've come from to make it um, this far. And uh, to see what the future holds and the attitude these guys have and the no quit in the, in the chemistry that they've developed because I, except in rare cases, uh, a team, and you look at the Lakers, I mean, talent out the wazoo, right? Um, this team doesn't have the talent the, the L.A. Lakers have, but they have heart. They have desire. They have a brotherhood, I, I think you could call it. And they have, again, one of the bright young coaches in, in this league. And uh, the future is so exciting for this team. You got a guy like me who usually is – getting into football mode now. The NFL draft is Thursday. I'm leaving on a plane in about eight hours to go to Las Vegas, and I'm sitting here talking to you about the New Orleans Pelicans. That is damn exciting. I think that, you know, for the first time in a long time, there's optimism about the team that's real. It's not that wait till next year type of optimism. It's an actual, legit, you look at the roster, you look at the coaching staff, and you saw the development this year. And then you think about the fact that whether or not, you know, like, it'd be great. If, it'd be great if Zion Williamson comes back to next year healthy and ready and committed and all those things. And you look at that and you say, man, you got a 50-plus win team there. You absolutely sure. do. Without Zion Williamson, though, like let's just say Zion isn't ready. And I don't presume anything with anybody until I see them on the court. You know, without them, if you, if you figure – they come back with a lottery pick next year and add that to this group and make a couple of more tweaks at the back end of the rotation. Um, yeah, this is a 45-50 win team. And you have to be excited about that. And then, like you said, all the other things, the way that they play, it's not just that they're a competitive team, it's how they compete and that you get to watch them and be entertained. And New Orleans needed an entertaining basketball team. And this team is that for all the right reasons. And um, I think that the prospects are bright for this team. Um, and I think this is a great learning experience. They could have played in a series against a team where they wouldn't learn anything. You know, they pick up a lot of bad habits. You look at that Minnesota and Memphis series. For sure. It's a bad habit series. I agree. You know, but you look at what they, they're figuring out against Phoenix about the physicality, about the mental part of this game, about how the playoffs, you have to outthink people. You can't just be talented. Um, so I think they've learned a lot of lessons over these five games so far. They got a chance for two more uh, lessons to pick up if they can extend it. But the future's bright for the Pelicans. And, and I think that fans, finally, they just wanted to be able to have a team that they can embrace. And this is the team that they can embrace. By the way, um, you talk about Memphis, Minnesota. I tried to call John Moran. He didn't answer. I, I, don't, I, don't, know. I don't know what's up with that. I mean, he, he said call me. I, I tried to call me. He wasn't, he wasn't answering. I'm just saying. I'm sure John uh, had a lot of calls last night. I'm, I'm sure, sure, I'm sure he did. There's a lot of beeping going on. Um, and look, there's a couple 
things. You talk about people learning things from this series. And, and I think that this team will absolutely learn things from this series. And that includes the head coach, Willie Green. Um, you know, it's it, it, the development of this guy. I want to call him a kid. I mean, I'm, I'm 53. So, I mean, it's like, you know, in my eyes, he's a kid. I mean, and to me, Monty is like on, on my, Monty and I are about the same age. And to watch this 40-year-old grow up as an assistant coach. And look, when they brought him here, I thought it was the right hire. Don't get, I was, I was tooting his horn. I think I tooted his horn before the season started with you. But I had no idea that he would grow up this fast. And it's, it's not just the play call. I mean, there, there are two kinds of coaches, right? Or three kinds of coaches. There, there, there's a coach that can, can drive you and fire you up and get you rolling. There's a coach who knows X's and O's. And there's a coach who knows how to put them all together. And I think we can count the ones that have both traits uh, to, at, at the level of eight or nine or higher. And I think this, I think this guy's got it. Yeah, strategically, he's made good decisions for the most part. Um, and I think that what you see out of Willie is a guy who's in touch with his team and understands where they are at any given moment. Now, he doesn't always make the right decision. Right. But I think he knows what they need to hear, whether it's being very direct with them at certain times, whether it's being encouraging, whether it's being very specific about what they need to do. And watching him in a huddle, he works his huddle. I mean, there, there's, there's something happening when you talk, when you listen to him in the huddle. Uh, and I think that, that he has reached that team in a way that few coaches get the opportunity to do so. Now, next year, it'll be a completely different mix, and I think you right. have to remember that. Every group of players is brand new, and you've got to um, try to figure it out all over again. But what he's done is he's set a tone, and I think more than anything is once you've got the head guy, and he's got Brandon Ingram. And as far as this season is concerned, Brandon Ingram, you know, that's the guy you had to get, connect with. And Stan Van Gundy didn't do that. He's got Brandon's ear. And Brandon is listening and doing the things that Willie is asking. And that was the key to unlock Brandon, Brandon Ingram, making him a more intelligent basketball player. His numbers aren't that much different than they were last year, statistically speaking. But you see in the playoffs in particular, his decision-making, his, his understanding of when to take over, all that's gotten better, and that's because he's has, he has somebody like Willie to tell him about those situations. And then you add a guy like C.J., as a veteran who can also explain situationally things that nobody was able to talk to Brandon about before. So I think the mix is so good. And then Willie has a staff of people who are great communicators. I mean, Teresa Witherspoon, Jaron Collins, you just, I mean, everybody, Cor Brewer, you see how much they've done in player development and in just getting in-game adjustments, keeping guys focused. It's a great job by that staff. How many coaches in the NBA could have recognized that Herb Jones was going to be a talent first off, and then not only that, signed a guy like Jose Alvarado that no one wanted and turned him into a pesky pain in the ass for Chris Paul and just a guy that is, to me, has a legitimate chance to be in a starting lineup in the very near future. You look at what they did with these rookies. Trey Murphy has the highest. Trey Murphy, plus I didn't even mention Trey Murphy. Yeah, but Trey Murphy has the highest plus minus any rookie in the in the playoffs right now. Um, and then you look at yeah Herb and his ability to defend. 
um, at an all NBA level. I think Herb Jones is a generational type defender and could develop offensively into a 17 point per game yeah, player. I agree. You know, um, and like you said, with Alvarado, the shot is there, the ability to penetrate. And then, of course, like you talked about, the ability to pick up a, a guy like Chris Paul, 94 feet, and make him feel you. A 5'9 dude who's just out there harassing people. It's, it's, did you, did you trust notice, them. Dave, did you notice last night? I didn't notice in the, this in the first four games, but Chris Paul was looking over his shoulder last night. He, he mm-hmm. did not look over his shoulder in the first four games. He was looking over his shoulder last night. When he caught the ball, he looked both like he was crossing the street. Like, You're not getting you know, me again, kid. <laughs> and uh, But he still, he still, you get the eight count. You still get the things that you saw. They kept making Chris turn. And that was just what you want to do. You want to make him forced to decide where to go um, when he brings the ball up the court. And they made him work. They made him work. But the unfortunate thing was, they didn't make him work to score. They made yeah. him work to bring up the ball up the floor. But when he needed to get baskets, he got to where he wanted to get. And the Pelicans just didn't have any resistance for most of the night, particularly inside. Particularly inside. They gave up everything yeah. around the rim. Yeah, that was um, bothersome. There's, there's so much good. you know. And I tell people, just enjoy this. They're not supposed to be here. They're playing like they belong. And if somebody would have told you that a month, a month ago, that you'd be looking at a game six against the best team in the NBA at home. You'd have taken it, right? I got to be honest. If you had told me 10 days ago that I was going to be looking at a game six, um, I would have been okay because I didn't think it was going to happen. I got to be honest. I thought they would win a game. I said that I thought they would win a game. Um, but I didn't think they would win two. And they have a chance to win three. And, um, hey, you, you can't ask for more than that. You know, you talk about Willie Green's um, – we talk about his, you know, growing up before our eyes. And, th- you know, I think he can learn a lot from last night. Um, you know, the negative side of things. And I don't want to get on the kid too much. I, I, I know every, there's no player on this team that, that's not invested heart and soul. Right. But you see, and, and most of the time I want to dismiss social media like, you know, like I dismissed the flu or the COVID or whatever it is. I want to dismiss it because I just roll my eyes about 90% of the time. But the one time that I agree with social media in the, in the last couple of weeks is I don't quite get why Willie seems to think he's forced. I know he wants to turn him into a, a, a great player. And, and I know that what he's trying to do, I get it. Okay. But this is not the time. Devontae Graham is just not um, doing what, it, you know, what we, what we need him to do. And I just think those minutes would be better served with Jose Alvarado. But then again, maybe Coach Green is looking at the bigger picture more than I am. What do you think when you see a a number four going in there and just not having the game that we need him to have? Devontae is just not giving you enough. I mean, you know, to be polite about it, it's just he's not giving you enough. His shooting, he had one game where he shot the ball pretty well and hit, you know, three straight threes. But at the end of that stretch, Pelicans, the lead was no bigger, you know, because he gave up those points on the defensive end. And that's the problem is that whatever he gives you offensively right now is inconsistent. Right. But defensively, game in and game out, he's giving up points. He's allowing the other team to get into scoring positions. And I don't get it either. I just – 
I think even if you don't, if you feel like you can't play Jose all those minutes, then give those minutes to Trey. Give those minutes yeah. to Herb. Give it to somebody bigger. Let Najee play defensively and get out there and harass people. But Devontae's just not doing it. He's just not giving you anything. He's not giving you assists. He's not giving you defense. He's not shooting the ball well enough to justify his minutes. And that's the problem. It, it just is. And, and I was surprised, again, to hear Willie say, my rotation's fine last night after the game. I mean, that's that that blind spot is the one thing I think people are going to look at this year and say, you know, okay, I hope in the offseason something happens where you figure this out. I mean, you know, my goal would be that you move him on because I just don't see a spot for him in the roster going forward. But ultimately, I just don't see Devontae's fit. He's not multi-skilled enough to contribute when his shot isn't working. David Grubb here on the Dattitude Podcast. I mean, look, he's had times when he's looked like he could be something special. And I think that uh, when the trade was made with Charlotte, and I, I think that, you know, most a lot of people thought this is a great piece of the puzzle. Um, he doesn't have a ridiculous contract, but at the same time, he does make $12 million a year. Um, and he's got three years left on his deal. So I, I agree that you think, you you know, whether you move on to him from him. We've seen, uh, to me, I think we saw at times towards the end of the regular season where he was starting to, okay, I know this is when you're supposed to come to Monte, and I love the story of him going to his house and sitting down to him and looking him in the eyes like a man and saying, I love you, but we're, we're going to have to cut down on your minutes instead of just telling him at a practice or whatever. He, he went to the man's house, and I think that means a lot. But this is not, I mean, to me now is, is a time, and it may be too late, but, you know, you just get, you, you, oh, this is what I would have liked to see last night, okay? Chris Paul is exhausted. He, you know he's going to sit most of the third quarter. You get Crowder in foul trouble. You get Bridges in foul trouble. They go to the bench. To me, to heck with the rotation at that point. To me, that's when you, you go full bore. This is when we cut 13 to, to four and put all the pressure on them and make Monty put those guys back in before he wants to put them in and force the pressure on them. Instead, you stick with your rotation because this is what you know to this point. And I think a more veteran coach would have, would have changed things up right there and said, you know what? We're not doing the rotation here in the third quarter. CJ, B.I., you know, get in there, Jonas, get in there, do what you got to do. And this is when we're coming in. And I just think a veteran coach would have been a little bit different in that third quarter last night. Yeah, that was the opportunity. The game was disjointed. You know, there was a lot of free throws being shot at one point for both sides. There wasn't really a flow to the game at about eight minutes, you know, left in the third quarter. And I was like, this is an opportunity here for the Pelicans to seize the game to start running while the, the Suns had their second unit and some of their third unit guys, like you said, because of the foul trouble out on the court, and they never got the tempo going. Oh. They never were able to push any pace. And even with those backups, the Suns were able to still run the same type of offense and play the same type of defense that they had been playing. And, I mean, you know, the Pelicans got all the things that they wanted yesterday. The whistle was in their favor for the most part. You know, they got more free throw attempts, but they missed a bunch of free throws that they needed to make. Um, so that's not on the refs. You can't blame them for that. You you had opportunity to turn the ball over too many times. And then CJ, again, he has not shot well in this series, and he did not, not shoot well again in game five. 
he has to make shots at some point. He was seven for 19, you know, seven for 22. Yeah. Yeah. Seven for 22. He'd be out seven for 19. That's right. So then you get him at seven for 22. That, That doesn't cut it. It just doesn't. And none of those things are things that you could sit and say, that's on the ref. So this is on the way the game was officiated. Well, your star players didn't play like star players. There was a lot of isolation basketball offensively, you know, a lot of dribbling, which the Pelicans, that is that never works out for them. And um, they just, they were a disjointed um, and just, they just didn't have any energy last night. They, yeah. did, they did not like they were, and I don't say that they weren't ready to play. They just didn't have the energy to compete uh, at the level that they are accustomed to. They didn't look like the same team. Uh, I don't think, I, I think they were motivated, but that's what, it, that's what, going on the road in the playoffs will do to you sometimes. Yeah, you know, it, it, it's hard. Again, more veteran teams, uh, teams that have been in this situation more often, um, maybe the Pelicans next year or the year after, will find a way to win a game like that where you come off of this emotional victory where you give it your all. And we saw that. David, we saw when they came off the two play-in tournament games, it took them a half to, like, r- figure out, Look up and oh my goodness! Wait, this is real. We got seven of these, or we hope we have seven of these, or whatever. Um, and then the second half, they played a lot better. I think that coming off that game last Sunday, um, they're not ready to put two of those together in a row, which is why I think they're done, even if they come up with some kind of miraculous formula. But uh, these are the situations, though. Not just the coach, not just the players, but everyone, and including the fan base. We haven't been here for a long time. I mean, heck, it's, it's been a while since we've been here. So, I, I mean, I think this is a big time learning experience. Yeah. I mean, in all three losses, the Pelicans were down double digits at the half. In all three losses, they're down double digits at the half. So that tells you that's a young team coming out and not understanding right. early, you know, the situation. Uh, that, that's not about them. And veterans making hard. adjustments from two days ago. And then they figure it out. Then they start to figure it out. But, like, you know, they said it. it Willie said it last night. We can't keep digging these holes for ourselves and trying to right. come out of them, not against a team this good. And so that's the key. You you look early, and in each of the losses, you saw something early that you didn't like. Last night in the first quarter, Suns getting dunks, layups. They had more points at the in the paint or in the free throw line than the Pelicans had total points in the first quarter. That was the tone right there. That set the tone right there. And I think that we've seen that in the losses – the first quarter has not looked good. And so we'll see really quickly on Thursday. Really quickly, we'll know if the Pelicans are in it or not. And every single 50-50 ball went their way. I'm not, I'm not, and I'm not exaggerating. I'm not being a homer. Every single 50-50 ball last night went this. Every bounce off the rim, every clank off the backboard, every tip ball except for one, I think, uh, seemed to go, off the, uh, go their way. And you just got to roll with the punches and – it's tough not to get fr- – I'm getting frustrated sta- standing in front of my television, so I know they're getting frustrated. Yeah. I mean, but they were – they could have – if they had done certain things better themselves, again, that's what you, ultimately you have to come back and say, take the refs out of it, take situations out of it. You don't shoot 7 for 22 from your best right. – you know, 14 for 41 from your two best players. You can't do that. You can't give up points in the paint. You can't miss free throws. You can't have turnovers at critical times. All those things are things that you can fix. And I think that's where fans need to remember, too, is don't, it's, it's not about the, the Suns at this point. It's about the Pelicans and what are they going to be able to do. Um, they've got to get better. 
And we'll see if they can. I think they can push it to seven. I think they can. I think they'll have the legs to do it. And Chris Paul hasn't had back-to-back good games in this series. So I think they can push it to seven. And then who knows? You give you, you just you're hoping for um, a Buster Douglas moment where you catch the champ on the chin at the right time. We'll see. Glass Joe, you need to hit Glass Joe. Uh, just one good time. I will say this: the difference between I think this team and you 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 look at I'm I'm going all over the place, but you look at Chris Paul. I saw a picture of him uh, SI cover from his uh, last year here with the Hornets, and the picture of him now, and he looks like this. Uh, like like some kind of model almost, you know, the model of what you would want your point guard to look like. He's got the got the arms. He's been working out. He's he's thin, and I'm like, how is this dude at 37 years old who looks like he went out last night and just had a good time at the bar and probably ate a a, a meal full of like fried catfish and fried shrimp at at Denny's before he left uh, New Orleans and goes. How does this dude play like this? It's kind of sickening. <laughs> but the difference is between that CP, between CP when he left and AD when he left is even though those, those guys are gone, even if Zion never plays another game for the Pelicans, kid, uh, players going to want to come here now. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's, something, there's something here. There's some, and it's it's similar to, to what when you get the turnaround with the Saints. It, it's just 100. When people believe that there's something happening, winning cultures, you know, players want to be a part of that. Now the problem is the Pelicans don't have a lot of spots on that roster, um, but there's there'll be some changes. It's necessary and it's going to happen in the off season. But you have a coach, you have a staff, you have young stars, you have a veteran. And, um, and now you're just hoping if your X factor, the number one pick in the draft three years ago, can give you 25 points and seven boards and play a little defense for once, you got something scary. And um, that's that's a lot to be excited about. That's for, for the first time in a long time. You know, when the Pelicans made the playoffs in 2015, you know, in the Anthony Davis, you know, last game of the season they get in against the Warriors, you knew they were going to get murdered and by the by the Warriors in the first round. You knew that. Um, when they beat the Blazers, that was a matchup win, I thought. Yes, it was. You know, that was the perfect matchup when they were the sixth seed to go into that because they had no chance against the Warriors in the second round. You look at the team now, and, and you have people talk about it. Well, if they can get by the Suns, they might make the Western Conference Finals. That belief comes from the way that this team competes and the way that they play and frustrate people. And they have an identity that I think New Orleans basketball has not had since Chris Paul and David West. And those guys were here and you had the Crescent City connection and you had that type of buy-in. It's the same level now. It's, it's in a different formula. It's a completely different way of doing it. But the, the hallmarks are there. Tough teams. You know, Chris Paul is a tough guy. David West, tough guy. You know, it, it's, I think, Physically and mentally, these teams are very similar to that. And Willie Green was part of that group. You know, he's part of the, those times. So I think it's 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 an interesting thing to see. Um, this has been almost Shakespearean of the series. You know, the the father and the son almost um, with, with yeah. Monty and with Willie. Um, but it's it's been great drama, and I, I think it's it's been entertaining, and it's been great to see the city of New Orleans 
and the region come together and love basketball. I'm glad we feel that way. I'm glad we feel like if we win this series, we're going to go on and go to the NBA Finals. Whether it's true or not doesn't make a difference. The fact that we feel that way says a whole lot about it, and I'll, I think it's all that, that needs to be said anyway. Before I let you go, David Grubb, I would be remiss if I don't get your thoughts on – and, and we'll just do it in one question – where are the Saints going with the with their two picks tomorrow night, assuming they stay at 16 and 19? Of course, I don't need you to tell me players, but what do you think they're going to do position-wise? I don't believe Las Vegas, who thinks they're going to draft a quarterback with their first pick. I think that's silly. I think that's smokescreen from Mickey Loomis like they always do. What do you think about where the Saints are going to go with their picks tomorrow night at 16 and 19? Offensive line. Offensive line. And maybe, maybe wide receiver picks? early. But the first was going to be offensive lineman. Yeah, I agree. They, just, they need it badly. And, I mean, I know people don't think that's a sexy thing, but the Saints is have this an year. offensive line problem. <laughs> Bring on the 6 7 three, 20, uh, behemoth. That's who we want. <laughs> yes, Jameis needs protection. Yes, he does. You know? And uh, Get Trevor- that man some help. How about Trevor Penning? Uh, you know, one of those one of those big monsters. Like like we had Andrews Pete a couple of years ago, a few years. Well, it's actually six years ago. Why, why are you bringing up Andrews Pete? Why are you bringing up Andrews? Because I'm thinking about how old I am, and I remember I, I, the first time I ever did a draft show, and Andrews Pete was in the draft. That's and I'm and, oh, man, bringing back bad memories of one canal place. I thought I'd forgotten forgotten that place. I just had flashbacks. Sorry, David Grubb. I digress. It is. I am so thankful for you being on with me on a Wednesday morning, my friend, and uh, we will be talking soon. Enjoy game six, and I'm going to tell you what. If the Pelicans shock the world, game six, they go and win game seven, you're coming back on because that means you're a good luck charm, and we're going to have you on soon regardless, but enjoy, enjoy the next two games. We'll talk to you soon, David. Thank you so much. It's always a pleasure, my friend. I told you David knows a ton about the Pelicans. I love his insight. I mean, we, we kind of see things the same way. And hey, look, shock the world. Go out there and shock the world. Prove us wrong. Please, by all means, prove us wrong. And no matter what happens in game number six, and welcome back to those of you who fast-forwarded to minute number 50, by the way. You missed a good chat about the Pelicans. I mean, you really did. But anyway, um, no matter what happens with these Pellies, game number six or potentially game number seven, win, 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 win. Winning. That's what this team's doing. They're going to win a lot more in the near future. Moving on, Saints and NFL draft. We talked about it, and again, I can't... uh, I, I think I've, I think it's been 16 years since I've been to Vegas. Uh, the last time I went to Vegas, I was covering the Arena Bowl. Back in my, I covered the Arena Football League for five years, um, six seasons, and uh, two in a row, two Arena Bowls in a row were in Vegas. The second one, the last time I've been to Vegas. Um, my wife and I were had only been dating for I think six months or so uh, at the time, and got to take her with me, and it was a wonderful trip. Um, so I'm looking forward to going back. 
it won't be as fun this time because I won't be there as long and I won't have nearly as much free time as I had last time I was there. But still, get something to scratch off my bucket list. Covering an NFL draft. Been doing this. Been a sports writer for almost 32 years now. And I've yet to be able to cover a draft on site. <clears throat> I've done different things here with drafts, but never, uh, never on site. So uh, looking forward to that. It should be fun. Again, we'll be doing plenty of shows. Look for Zach Ewing and I, all our content on bet.nola.com and nola.com slash saints. All right, our, our guest this morning to talk about saints and NFL draft, it's going to be more NFL draft than it is saints, but it's, it's definitely both. And the reason why I had Adam on, and I've been planning to have him on since the Super Bowl, really. I told him after the Super Bowl uh, that the next time we have him on is probably going to be around the draft. And now his main focus is about the betting aspect and odds and how how to think about betting on the NFL draft. It's what he does for a living. And the the stuff you get at Covers.com is fantastic. But what's great about Adam is, even if you're not interested in betting, the insight that he puts in makes you think about the draft a little bit differently. We all like to do kind of our mock drafts, even if it's just in our head. And uh, this is the first time, actually, that I've done a mock draft. Um, And I kind of did it almost by default. We did it with... Uh, our staff at bet.nola.com on the Bayou Bet Show this past Monday, and where we each took a turn. But it makes you think a little bit differently about how to look at the draft. What, again, whether you're betting or not, but I think it's fun to bet. Even if you're putting a few bucks on something, you can bet on almost anything. You can bet on the first drafted player by each team, uh, the position that it's going to be, uh, you can bet who you think the first player picked in the draft is. You can bet over under on when you think a certain player is going to be picked. I mean, there, there. I know just on Caesars, which by the way is the official odds partner of bet.nola.com. You can go on, and there are like forty players listed, and you can bet over under on when you think they're going to be drafted. You could put ten, twenty bucks on each one if you want, and you know, just have fun with it. Make your mock draft make money if you're right. Even 60% of the time, you'll make money. It's fun. But really, if, again, if you're not interested in the betting aspect, he makes you think about it a little different way. He's got insight that I haven't heard from anyone else. It's unique. And we like to be unique on this show and have datitude. Adam may not have a ton of datitude, but I fill in that part when needed. Let's hear him. Welcome again to the Datitude Podcast on a Wednesday morning. Adam Chernoff of Covers.com, who is an NFL expert and has been researching the draft for quite a while now. Adam, how's it going up there in Canada? Uh, Everything is going in every direction, and I am starting to lose track of what is up and what is down. (laughs) But we're almost at the draft, 48 hours to go. I got a feeling you're, you're a little bit like me, you know. We, we work from home, I guess, most of the time. I'm guessing you do the same. Yeah. And so, you know, I don't know if you feel like I do, but w- when it comes to a time when we're, like, super busy, I tell my wife, my wife is uh, sells food for a distributor, and she, she's running around the city doing this, doing that. She comes home and talks about how tired she is. I said, I feel like a caged animal sometimes. And that's how I feel. I mean, I see you in your room, and I'm guessing that's where you work a lot of the time. Do you feel like that sometimes? 
especially during the season, I always say that it's people, how many hours a week do you work? And I'm like, well, during the season, physically, I'm probably working the usual, but mentally it just sticks with you long after the day is done. So it just never ends when it comes to football. Sometimes we don't ever see the sun, even though I, I get luckily enough, I, this my office for now. We're about Windows are amazing to look they, at. About they are. That. And my <laughs> wife's about to make me move out into to, we're setting up an office in the garage and then I'll never see the sun again. It'll be, it'll be okay. <laughs> but uh, let's get to the NFL draft and uh, obviously your expertise. Uh, to me, um, although this is one of the weaker drafts at, say, the quarterback position, maybe even the running back position, there are still several skill positions that are, I mean, the over-under for wide receivers are at like five and a half. So we're going to see plenty of receivers going off the board, and it is going to be a very interesting draft, I think. Yeah, the wide receiver prop has been destroyed so far, and it just sort of confirms exactly what you're saying. It was immediately projected about a month and a half ago when this really got started to have um, right around six wide receivers drafted, and we've seen that number go up. And so it's been uh, significantly raised up in terms of the price so far. But uh, a lot of people who are tied into things think, there's going to be a run on wide receivers early and we're going to see a lot of them go in the first round as well as into day two, when you get to the forties and fifties, a lot of names tied to teams uh, for their second pick as well. So plenty of wide receivers to go uh, in this draft on day one and two. Adam, that's kind of where the, the, the play of the NFL is really gone and it's gone the way of the wide receiver. It's not as much running back anymore. Uh, even though teams do like to employ two, two running backs that they don't run as much. And you look at all the team's needs, if you go through the list, there are very few teams who don't have wide receiver somewhere on their needs list, including the New Orleans Saints. We did a mock draft yesterday. I had the Kansas City uh, Chiefs selecting Tol- the Tolbert kid from South Alabama. So, I mean, if we're getting that deep into things in the first round, I mean, we know there, there could be seven, eight, maybe even nine taken in the first round. It wouldn't even surprise me. Yeah, I think we certainly see seven. Um, would not be surprised to see if there's a few more because just like you said, there's you're either getting someone that's throwing a football to a receiver or someone who's catching the ball thrown from a quarterback. That's kind of priority one and two in the NFL. And so certainly with the depth at wide receiver and the lack of depth at the quarterback position this year, a lot of intrigue and a lot of needs for teams at receiver, no question. Before we get to some of your props, I want to talk about the New Orleans Saints and what you see there. I mean, with the trade they made with the Philadelphia Eagles last month, um, it's an interesting situation. They drafted 16. They drafted 19. Uh, there are two clear, obvious needs for this team, and it's it's offensive tackle, more specifically left tackle, although they could move their right tackle to left tackle, and, um, and then wide receiver, like we talked about. Um, and you look at the odds, for some reason, the the odds for this the top position the Saints are going to draft is quarterback, which I find interesting. And the Saints often do – weird things during the draft, but I find it very strange that the number one odds for the saints is to draft a quarterback. I knew it was coming on the show and I was digging the last few days to find something for the saints. It's been brutally difficult because you mentioned they're always tricky to know what's going in, but now with the coaching change and some adjustments going on, it's become even more difficult to find those lines of info. 
um, directly to the team. And so uh, honestly, my, my clear answer here, unfortunately, is I have no idea what they're going to do. You ain't the but only the, one. The QB spot standing out is definitely interesting from an odds perspective. Um, we can look at all the mock drafts we want. At the end of the day, the betting market will tell the story. And I know um, some folks may not be ready to sort of jump into that and abandon a lot of the like classic analysis that comes out during draft time, but it really is a reflection of what news matters and what news doesn't. And so I think, as you mentioned, having them um, most likely to draft a quarterback, according to the odds, certainly stands out because like you mentioned, there's now a really big hole on the left side of the offensive line. And there's a really big hole at wide receiver too, with still some uncertainty around the Thomas situation. So um, have to think they certainly go offense here, but Will it be, again, someone throwing a football to someone or somebody catching it from somebody throwing it at them? Uh, I think it has to happen with one of those two picks for sure. One thing the Saints are, are great at and have been, at least during the Sean Payton area, and Mickey Loomis is still here, so he knows the playbook uh, and follows it well, is they like to throw out smoke screens. So there was talk Big last time. week uh, There was talk last week about the Saints wanting Kenny Pickett, and that's where they're going to go. Hence why I think the odds – if you're not from New Orleans and don't have any clue and don't follow it enough, you can say, well, that makes sense. You know, Jameis Winston's the quarterback. He's not going to be there long. Uh, Kenny Pickett makes a lot of sense, or maybe Malik Willis, or, you know, maybe even reaching Matt Corral if they make a trade and go down or some something silly. But um, here in New Orleans, we're used to those smoke screens, at least the, the ones of us who pay attention. So to me, I don't think that the fact that they threw out the name Kenny Pickett and they want it to come out, I don't think that's – I think there's little chance that's the way they go. It seems unlikely, and I don't have nearly the insight from the team perspective, um, but I will say that just from a very in-tune and sharp betting side, there's a lot of people that think that Pickett is going to slide pretty deep in this first round, and just a lot of the quarterback class in general I think is really being overblown. And so we're seeing a lot of intrigue in like under on quarterbacks drafted in the first round. Some of the positions these guys are ultimately going to be drafted in are increasing. I uh, mean, they're going to be drafted later. So I think there's a really good chance he's there, but I'm not sure if that's the one that they ultimately move on. I agree. And I, and I tell you what, um, just from a, following a team perspective and covering them as long as I have, it wouldn't surprise me at all. If, if they get the tackle they want at 16, which is where I think they're going first. Um, wouldn't surprise me at all. They're not a team that often trades down, but I think if if you get that 19th pick and there are still plenty of receivers on the board that you think you can fill in and work here, that you get an extra second-round pick, you trade down, and maybe you do take a Kenny Pickett type late, either late in the first round or even in the early second round. But um, I think it depends on how the draft unfolds. But, yeah, there's no way I'm, 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 I'm making, making the pick on those odds. Um all right, well, let's talk about some of the, the prop odds that, that you do like. Now, I, I would imagine that you, you go through and some of the, the team needs, that there are multiple team needs. Like you look at the Houston Texans, and, I mean, they could go edge rusher. They could go cornerback. They could go offensive line. There's so many ways a team that was bad a year ago could go. And then maybe it's easier for a team you go down the line and you look at a team like, I don't know, I mean, the Bills don't really have any obvious needs. But, I mean, you, you go down the list and you can say, okay, well, this team has one or two clear needs, and that's and they, they usually follow the script. It's a little bit easier. 
Jim, the key is matching up those situations like you just identified with some concrete piece of news that is out there from ideally a respected team reporter or a handful of NFL analysis that have like ties to success within draft time. And so I think a really good example of that would be the Pittsburgh Steelers. Like you mentioned, like finding that team that has a really glaring need. They are a team that absolutely needs a quarterback. And when you're looking for that piece of news that ties it together, there's actually kind of endless amount of news in terms of Mike Tomlin's interest in Willis being drafted and how he's brought him to Pittsburgh twice. Tomlin has gone to Liberty. Tomlin has gone to Willis's hometown. They've been spotted eating together. They've been spotted doing all sorts of, they've been best friends for the last two months, essentially the way that it's being reported. And it's not just one person tied to the team that's breaking this. Like it's, completely widespread known that this is the case. And so there's a question of whether or not he's going to be there or whether or not the Steelers move or what it looks like with 20. But as we mentioned, Pickett likely to slide, maybe he becomes the clear and away number one QB. There's teams ahead of Pittsburgh that need it, but I think there's no question in this spot, the Steelers in terms of their needs, as well as in terms of the news to draft the quarterback with their first pick is a bet where everything kind of lines up and you can feel pretty good making it. You talk about that. I think that is the number one reason why the Saints throw out the smoke screen of Kenny Pickett because they draft 16 and 19 and the Steelers draft 20th. You know the Steelers need a quarterback. So, hey, let's get them to trade up. Let's get them to, to use their draft capital. Let's get someone else to be interested in quarterbacks because that's not what we're For taking sure. right here. So it makes a lot of sense that teams would do that. Yeah, absolutely. And as I think there's something to it for sure with them being 16 and 19 and the Steelers at 20. So absolutely. What, uh, when, when you're doing your studying for, for draft props, um, what kind of things are you looking at besides what we just talked about, but what, what specific kind of props do you normally like? I mean, it's easy to say, okay, I'm going to go team by team and say, see what they need, but what other kind of draft props are you looking at going into, uh, going into tomorrow? It, honestly, anything just relating to news, um, that's it, everybody from either on the bookmaking side or on the betting side is playing from the same pool of info here. There's no, there's no p- prior history here on what these guys are going to be drafted. And we, it's not like a, a typical football game where if you have two teams that have a specific points per game average, for example, you can set a total based on historical records and scores. When it comes to the draft, everyone's just reacting to news. That's all it is. So we're all playing from the same pool of info. So it's really a lot of these, it doesn't really matter the market. It's more of monitoring any news that's coming out, any quotes, any reports, and just trying to decipher what matters and what actually holds true. And the access that you can have nowadays to GM quotes and head coach quotes and everything on a daily basis it's pretty well endless. So it's really just monitoring all of that. And then when you find something that's good, just looking around to see like, okay, how can this piece of info be best matched into a bet? And that's, that's honestly, when you're looking at the guys that have betting NFL draft props is a significant chunk of their annual living and on a, on a yearly basis, that's how they're doing it. And it's just, it's really that simple most of the time. You led into my next question. How, how, what kind of 
I'm trying to gauge how much uh, you might bet on this as let's compare it to say the Super Bowl. Obviously, the Super Bowl we talked about before the game. Um, you had you know some 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 professional gamblers might have sixty different props they bet on. Um, how, as far as your bankroll goes per se, how much percentage would you compare this to the Super Bowl? Um, is it equal? Is it more? Well, because of what I was kind of just getting at, where there's no exact number that you're betting into, in an ideal world, you would be betting as much money as you possibly could on any draft prop that you can find because you know when you're betting it. And this applies for anybody who's listening at home right now or in the car or wherever you might be listening from. This is a market and an event where you have access and can confidently say you have access to the same information that almost every other better that you're betting against has, as well as every other sports book you're betting into has as well. And so with there not being that past history of establishing a price on any of these props being offered, this is where you can find a really, really big edge and you can really be betting into something that has concrete value. Now, the problem with that is obviously sports books know this too. So the maximum amount that you're going to be able to bet on these props is significantly lower than what you might find during the Super Bowl or the NFL regular season where the limits are, they're basically accepting anything that you're willing to bet. So they account for that. And that's why it becomes at a really high level, a bit of a challenge for people finding different ways to bet more money on these props. But for the average better who's listening at home that's just doing this on a, on a daily basis, um, this is as good of a chance as you're going to have to win as ever. Adam Chernoff of Covers.com here on the Datitude Podcast. I will say this, though. The, I'm guessing most of the people, most of my listeners uh, are probably like me. The max bet is usually not going to come into play for, 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 of course, a <laughs> yeah. small timer. So, you know, but, but it, it is a good point that the – the sports books obviously are a little, a little leery, I guess, a little worried because, like you say, they don't know any more than you know, which which scares the bejesus out of them maybe a little bit because, you know, they they like to be in control of everything. Uh, Jim, I'll give you a perfect example of why you're exactly right. Like the the bet limits for the vast majority of players will never come into account, but. To kind of give an example of why even that shouldn't matter in terms of like how you're doing work or looking at it. If, it, the, say, the Cowboys are playing the Eagles at some point during the upcoming regular season, the point spread might be Dallas minus three and the total 49 and a half. Anyone who's betting on that game is using pieces of info that likely are accounted for in some way by the sports book and betters who are offering the odds on on an NFL game, the chance of any better having a piece of info that the sports book or other betters do not know is extremely low. At the end of the day, we're betting on very small edges that come from info. We probably think matters more than it does. On the other hand, with this draft, if somebody picks up their phone right now and goes onto Twitter and goes into the advanced search and does an exact search for Jerry Jones quotes, it will not take very long to find multiple references of where he has gone out of his way when asked over the last six weeks 
to say that he is drafting an offensive lineman unless it's a situation where it's Lamb or Parsons falling to him like in years past. So right away by doing this small amount of work, bettors who are just looking on Twitter, it doesn't matter how much they're betting, can say, okay, Jerry Jones, who is making the decision for the Dallas Cowboys, wants to draft an offensive lineman unless there's a situation where an incredibly skilled player that stands out falls to the Cowboys in the mid-20s. And so at this point, you know what's happening, and it's your chance to go to different sports books and evaluate what markets are being offered. And so the Cowboys to draft an offensive lineman with their first pick is a market that you can bet into, and it pays it plus money. And so you now have a very tangible piece of evidence to support a bet you're making with a number of different sports books you can make it at. That's really how betting works at a high level. And with something like the draft, anybody can do this. That's right. But in general, people tend to shy away from it saying, well, it's too uncertain. It's when, when things are uncertain, that's when you want to be betting because that's when you have a chance. The NFL, regular season games, very, very certain. Yet, betters tend to have it reversed. You make another point that's a little off topic, but I, I like to stress this every so often. Every six weeks or so is the perfect time to do it. Um, even me, who's – I'm a small fish, okay? I mean, I, mean, I like – don't get me wrong. I, I probably bet more than most of the people than that are listening to the show because it's what I do for a living. But in the grand scheme of things, I'm not trying to make a living off of it. But at the same time, people need to realize, if you don't realize this already, and I tell this to my friends who are bigger fish than me, and they still don't listen to me, you need to have multiple books open on your, on, whether if you bet on your phone or however you're doing it, you need to have at least three, four, maybe even five different books. You need to be able to shop around because, Adam, like you talk about, let's say, like you just say, the Cowboys, you think they're going to draft an offensive line? They're, it's plus, two, plus 210 at Caesars to bet them uh, that they're going to draft an offensive lineman first. It's plus 230 at MGM. It's plus 270 at FanDuel. And then you, you, wide receiver, it's the reverse. Well, maybe you make two bets, but you make one bet on the plus 270 at, at FanDuel. You make the other bet on the plus 270 on the receiver at, at Caesars, and I'm just making up numbers. But yep. if you shop around, Adam, you can really – almost guarantee yourself to to have better than a 50-50 chance to win on a bet that if you add the odds together, you're getting plus 140. Jim, that you record that clip the last 30 seconds and just play that on the 30-minute podcast and it'll be the most valuable thing that you can get across. Like it, That's exactly 100% the truth because the, a perfect example from the draft, um, Daxton Hill to be drafted in the first round was a, a bet that was hit pretty heavily by myself and others earlier this week. And for the most part, it was about minus 165 um, throughout the market. There were two sports books that had it listed at even money. So the value from just being aware of the bet, but then taking an extra minute to open a couple different apps, the value that was saved was absolutely enormous. And the easiest way to maybe not become a professional and have a life that depends on sports betting. But I think anybody who does this regardless of their aspirations would aspire to win money or at least lose less money at some point 
The easiest way to do that is to have as many sportsbook accounts as you can have. And it doesn't mean you have to have tons of money in each of them. They're free right. to open and they're free to look at. When it comes to something like draft props, let alone regular season game by game props where there's dozens per game, the differences in price that you will find between different sports books is enormous. And you can make a lot of money off of just that alone. It's incredible. And, and really until, I mean, I was a super casual better until probably, um, I don't know, I guess about a year ago. And, uh, you know, just until, and really until we got our books opened here that you could use on our phones, which was not until January. I mean, we were kind of stuck, but <clears throat> there's really no excuse now. And even if you're just a, you know, if, unless you're a once a week better, um, if you're doing it almost every day, it makes no sense not to. It is so easy. And almost every single book offers you some kind of bonus. Um, and it's easy to do. And just, I, it continues to buy. I have, a, <clears throat> excuse me, I have a friend of mine who that's probably, I don't know, money wise, probably five, six times more than me. And he loves DraftKings and it's all he's got. And I don't get it at all i've tried to talk him into it. what can we say to him adam what what can we use to get a chis a hammer and chisel to knock him in that brain honestly at, at that point a lot of people are just hopeless it's <laughs> it sucks to say but like <laughs> a, a lot of people just cannot get out of their own way and they they're just going to be lifetime losers there's they're fine with that and sports books make money off them and those are the sports the players that sports books go out of their way to attract and keep on because they know that they're never going to win and that's how they're going to be. But it's, it's weird when we get to betting people throw out all common sense and lose their mind as soon as it comes to a question of betting. And there is no other time in life where we are willing to go out of our way to pay significantly more for something that's right. We have a choice of getting the same thing at a number of different places because and the convenience of having it on your phone. It's if you're not willing to shop and look around and compare prices, I, there's nothing you're, there's nothing you can say. That's it's right. Just, it makes it's, I mean, it's unfortunate, but some people are just willing to lose forever. I'll get off this tangent in 30 seconds. I mean, perfect examples last night. I had a very rare five and O night last, last night. Okay. I, I like to brag, when, you know, you know, it, it doesn't happen often. So I'm, I'm going to go ahead and break. But the point is two of the five bets that I made were free bets because I have all the, you know, you have different things across different platforms. And most of these of platforms offer, offer you some kind of, if you bet enough, if you bet regularly enough, not even necessarily amount of money, if you bet regularly enough, you're going to get free bets. Two of the five bets I made were, were free bets and I pocket, Hey, I like free money as much as the next guy, you know? I mean, why wouldn't you? Absolutely. <laughs> free money is a good thing. All right. Two more questions before I let you go. Uh, the first one is, you know, oftentimes, at least at this point, as we sit the day before the draft is you look at who's going to go number one. And it's normally, you know, last year, Trevor Lawrence, it was like, I don't know, minus 1,500 or something silly like that, which honestly, I wouldn't say there's normally value in minus 1,500. But last year, I would have told you, go ahead and put 1,500 down on Trevor Lawrence. He's going to be the number one pick. This year, there have been all kinds of floating reports. There have been three or four different names uh, going in there. And uh, I don't think we know who the number one pick is going to be this year, do we? Uh, it became maybe a little bit more clear 
yesterday and Sunday evening. Um, I'm losing track of my days here. Two days ago, I guess. Um, it's everything draft week merges into one. <laughs> so it was Hutchinson for a long time. That's right. Uh, basically, the majority of March, early April. Uh, Sunday evening, Trayvon Walker was, he flipped into the first spot. And it was backed by some pretty significant uh, money supporting it. And so that that kind of tipped the market upside down. Walker's now a pretty heavy favorite, um, more so than Hutchinson ever was. And so this close to the draft, I'd say that's pretty enlightening of things to come, so to speak, on Thursday night. But um, like you said, it's it's very different from years past where there is no number one. Since draft odds opened nine months ago, and that was just this specific market, who will be the first drafted pick, there have been nine different players favored. And that's more than any other draft prop year in history. So that kind of illustrates what we're dealing with at the very top end here. Is that a prop you'll be playing? No, it is not. Not yeah, one I I've think so. taken at any time. I, I, I figured that it wouldn't be. Um, I actually lied. I'm going to slip a 1B in there. You, you sure. Before I ask you the, the last question that I want to ask, um, you gave us a great, you know, I asked you for a, a uh, out of the blue prop bet for the Super Bowl. You came through. I actually bet it pretty hard. You gave me Johnny Hecker uh, punting uh, punt. at least one punt over. I forget yep. the yardage it was, but he hit it in the second. One and a half. Yeah. He hit it in a second. And so you are one and oh on datitude. I'm going to ask you to go two and oh. Just give me, and it doesn't have to be your best prop. It could be something completely obscure, uh, but give me a prop that you like for Thursday night in the NFL draft. Okay, so I mentioned the Steelers QB and Cowboys O-line. I'll just, I'll slip a a quick one in there and I'll give you one that's NFC South relevant. Um, Okay. Total safety is over one and a half in the first round. It's expensive, so some folks might not like it. It's about minus 250, Uh, but that's still a really, really good price. Um, Hamilton will be drafted early on. We think Hill will go as well. So I think that one's really good, but just for, we'll go for the official one here. Falcons to draft a wide receiver with their first pick. There's been a lot of tweets from the Falcons account that have suggested that they're going to put a cornerback, um, whoever makes it that far across from AJ Terrell. And honestly, the market hasn't responded to that one bit because it's, as big of a hole any team has at wide receiver. And there's, when you're doing a little digging, you see that there's a ton of interest from Atlanta in taking a wide receiver. So whether or not it's going to be Wilson falling that deep to them or not, they might go elsewhere. Um, Drake London's getting a lot of attention right. to it going earlier and then he's projected. So they're going to end up with one of the two, but I'm, I'm pretty confident the Falcons will take a wide receiver with their first pick. And that's, and right now at plus 110, so you're getting a little bit back on your return. Those odds are likely to move, but Falcons to take a wide receiver with their first pick is a really good look at number eight. We had our bet.nola.com mock draft on Monday, and uh, the, the four staffers each got assigned picks randomly or whatever, and somehow I got Atlanta. I have no idea. Uh, but anyway, uh, we, were, we said, what are their needs? That We had to list that before we list the pick, and I said Atlanta's needs are Wide receiver, wide receiver, and wide receiver. That, that, that's, that's Atlanta's, <laughs> that's Atlanta's yep. needs. 
And then, so just to have fun, I said they would draft Malik Willis because they're Atlanta and they, they don't usually do things that are, that are correct. So, but anyway, that, that's just for fun. I, and that was completely fun. The Minecraft, I agree with you. I think they will take a wide receiver. All right. Lastly, I know we've talked about this before and I know that uh, professional betters aren't usually keen on future odds because there is so much big and baked into these prices and, uh, you don't usually get good numbers unless maybe if you bet them super early before trades happen, like Cleveland Browns, who were 40 to one to win the Super Bowl. And when Deshaun Watson got traded, they were 18 to one. And so I actually got Cleveland at 40 to one. Um, but I want to ask you specifically about the Saints. Uh, I, I haven't looked in the last two weeks, so I don't know if they, they're changed. I suspect not. But 50 to one to me, and even better, five to one to win the division. Uh, when Clearly to me, Carolina and Atlanta are out. I mean, you could just throw them out. So to me, it's a two-horse race. I think that 5-1 to one to win the division for the New Orleans Saints in the futures odds is one of the best bar- – and I'm trying not to be a homer because usually I'm the other way. They call me Derry Downer. But, <laughs> you know, usually I think this is one of the best bargains you can find. I'm, I want to know if you agree or if I'm missing the boat here. What am I missing? The Saints at 5-1 to one to win the NFC South. Is that not a good bargain? You're missing a very good team in the Buccaneers. Um, but, but okay, look, I'll say this. The, I, I, I get that part, but yeah. Of the, of the, the, th- of the three, uh, of the top three professional betters that I know who I respect the most, the highest of those has taken a huge position on the Saints' regular season wins over eight and a half. At plus, I got it. Plus one, plus one forty, plus one thirty, and then he bet it again at plus one twenty. So that is by virtue of, like you mentioned, the week schedule within the division that accounts for four games, but then also the remainder of their schedule. The way that you do it is you have power rankings, and you just have each team equating to a point spread That's right. against an average team. So if you lay out everything in the league, and you see the Saints and their schedule of who they're going to face, never mind the order, you're getting close to 10 wins with the Saints just from a win probability standard. I'm getting math heavy, but the, the point is that they're priced like an average team, but it's an average team price with a well above average roster outside of QB and wide receiver and QB. You can maybe even argue they're close to average. So obviously a lot to come from the draft, and then into the regular season. But I think they can definitely be better than their win total suggests. And I am with you in saying that the Buccaneers, to me, are a team that's taking a step back this year. They had a lot fall in their favor over the course of last year and overachieved in a number of key spots. And then the other two teams in the division are dead. So although I'm not running to take the 5-1 to to win the division, I think Saints fans from a win total perspective and how this team is being priced entering the year, um, pretty undervalued in general. So there's a chance there for any Saints fans that want to take um, some of their either win, win totals or their odds to make the playoffs. So if you were a home or better, which obviously you're not, um, that's not how professional betters make money. Uh, but if you were a home or better, uh, and you wanted to bet something on your team, you'd say the number one bet for the saints is the over under win total. I, I haven't looked, they were at, at Caesars. They were seven and a half for quite some time. I'm guessing it has gone up now. 
but I got it at seven and a half after the Deshaun Watson trade did not go through. They went back down to seven right. and a half. So yeah, I don't know what it, it like if, at if minus you can find if you're looking at the eight and a half at like plus one twenty five, which is at a few spots, I think that's really good. And I would also say if you want to go maybe a little more season orientated, you could go Saints to make the playoffs at plus one forty five, which okay. kind of simplifies the bet overall. But either one of those, I would say, is the the better way to go than the division at five to one. But um, certainly some value with the Saints makes sense one hundred percent. Do you do you like futures? I know most. Professional uh, professional bettors don't love futures odds. Now, they do like win totals, like you talked about. I know win totals is more of a thing because, like you say, professional bettors like to lay out their books. They have their power ratings. They do their little, you know, this is, our power rating is X on this team. They go game by game. It, it's, it is yep. very tedious, but you can come up with your own win total by doing that. Uh, I would imagine that's the way you go for most things when you do futures. Yeah, Exactly. It's spot on. So I'm, I'm a little later than usual this year. I'll get to it after the draft settles, but that's exactly how it's done. Yeah. Uh, do you make any Super Bowl bets this time of year? Do you have any? And I'm not going to ask you who they are, but do, do you have any? I, I don't because, first of all, I'm getting a little old, so I'm slowing down and betting a little less. But also, um, I find now that I can – do more with that money during the season 100%. than I get back from it playing into something that ties it up for six, seven months for not a massive return. So Man. that's, that's just me personally at the moment. I, it, a lot of people bet into it and it's great for a lot of folks, but just for me specifically, I can do more with it during the year. Makes complete sense. Adam, please tell everybody where they can find your work. I love covers.com. It is a daily resource for me, and uh, I would highly recommend it to even the most casual of better. Absolutely. Covers.com, um, a lot of stats and info for any sport that you're betting. And then I'm on Twitter myself, at Adam Chernoff. Uh, you can follow me there for not a lot during the off season, but when it comes to August, we'll be picking back up again. And I'll say this about Covers, too. I'm not just saying this. Um, you know, I'm not I, – I, I highly, you know, I highly throw out there that uh, covers.com is worth subscribing to. There is no better, there, there literally is no better uh, free content for the casual better than on covers.com. And if you, if you spend enough time on covers.com, you're going to want to subscribe because there's plenty to go with it. But no, no one has as much free content as you guys do. And we certainly appreciate it very much. Thank you for coming on Datitude as well, Adam. We're going to cut that and use it as a promo on our end, if that's okay. It's all yours. You're, you're more than welcome to it. Adam Chernoff here on the Datitude Podcast. We will talk to you when we get closer to training camp. Uh, always a pleasure. Always great insight. Thank you. Thanks again, Jim. Talk soon. I told you to have insight. Worth listening to. Again, a different perspective, looking at things not the way that you would normally look at a draft. Uh, it's not just about player A, player B going down the line. It's thinking about how to bet a draft, to me, that, that kind of gets the wheels in motion. And even if you're not necessarily wanting to bet on this draft per se, maybe you think a little bit about it. Maybe you won't get anything out of, the, uh, out of it at all, and maybe you'll say, Jim Derry, as usual, you are a blathering idiot. 
hey, I've been called worse. And I'm sure I will again. All right, that is just about wrap it up for the show. I was trying to think of an outro song for today. And I'm thinking about these Pellies. And you know what? Uh, and I was trying to come up with a song that would combine both the Pelicans and the Saints. And I think I came up with one. Because the Pelicans are going to try to be big and bad. That's how they won game four on Sunday, right? Meanwhile, the Saints want to draft somebody that's big and bad to play tackle. Just get at them. 6 7, 3 30. Beat them up. Protect Jameis. You're not getting to my quarterback. So I came up with Michael Jackson. And you, you know, really. When, you, when you're trying to end a show and you're trying to get something uplifting, sometimes it's not uplifting. But in this case, I want to go on a positive note. Michael Jackson seems to be able to do that. The king of pop, he could be big. He could be bad. He's not with us anymore. But, uh, hey, that's how we're going. Hope you enjoyed it. We will see you from Vegas in our live shows on Thursday on bed.nola.com. And back here with Datitude to recap everything that happened in the first round on Friday morning, live from Caesars Palace in Las Vegas. And remember, boys and girls, it's not about the Pelicans. It's not about the Saints. It's about the ones you love. That's what's most important. And we try to stress that here in Datitude. It's certainly the case for me. So give them all a hug and a kiss. And then sit your butt down in that chair for about, I don't know, four or five hours. I think they'll understand. Tomorrow's going to be a big day. We will see you on Friday. Peace and love, my friends. <laughs>